This podcast is part of the Product League Club at the UT Dallas. Become a member of the Product League now. Visit www.theproductleague.com for more information. I'm generally the first person or one of the first people they speak to. For the most part, they'll have a chat to me. And I always ask them, I'm like, okay, well, like, why? And I've had really bad answers. I've had people say, oh, so why product management? And they're like, I want to do strategy. I'm like, okay. They're like, mm-hmm. great. What do you mean by that? And, you know, strategy is sexy on paper. And there's a lot of strategy <laughs> in product management, but it's not product management, right? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The the question that you really should ask is, how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. Welcome to the Product League Podcast, the podcast that delves deep into the world of product management. I'm your host, Visar, and today we have an exciting episode lineup for you. We'll be exploring a fundamental question that every aspiring product manager should ask themselves. Why do you want to become a product manager? Product management is a dynamic field that requires a unique blend of skills, passion, and vision. It's not just about creating great products. It's about understanding user needs, driving innovation, and making a meaningful impact. But what drives individuals to pursue this challenging yet rewarding career path? To help us unravel the depths of product management and uncover the significance of answering the why question, I have a very special guest joining in me today. But before we move forward, here is how Sonali, a student at the University of Texas Dallas, answers the question, why do you want to become a product manager? So, hey, um, I want to be a product manager because I believe that they have the vision of seeing a product through and through and what's important is that they know why we're building a certain product before how and what we're building maybe and that's why I think like the club uh, the product league club is going to be very helpful in guiding me through that and providing resources to me and it's just going to be very helpful for everyone so hope to see you at the club join me Sonali and many more aspiring product managers at UTD Become a member by visiting our website, www.theproductleague.com. In today's episode, we have a very successful and an experienced product manager. My name is Chase Rivera, um, and I am a, I have a lot of titles, but at, at Deloitte, I'm a, a senior consultant, but I'm more of a senior product manager slash uh, group product manager as I lead teams of product managers um, across a whole bunch of different clients. Every time I speak with Chase, he's at a different U.S. location. Last time, he was in New York. This time? No, I'm in L.A. (laughs) How come every time I speak with you, you're in in another place? (laughs) That's just the consulting way. Chase actually grew up in Australia. He only moved back in the U.S. in 2019 to search for a new career. And then he will tell us the rest. Can you share me your personal journey uh, from Australia to U.S.? And what motivated you to pursue a career in product management? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, I'll probably start with the, the second question first. Um, sure. 
starting with a bit of my background. Um, uh, so I'm not an engineer at all. Um, I, I grew up in front office roles. So, you know, customer service when I was younger, I used to be in selling, like in retail. So you think of like Best Buys or in Australia, it's Harvey Norman, which is like the equivalent of Best Buy. Um, so I was always dealing with customers face to face, dealing with a lot of customer problems, rejections, all that stuff. Uh, when I started my career in finance, um, I started in a back office role for about six months before I got moved into sales because they were like, oh, this could solve problems. It's like, yeah, I guess so. Um, but specifically problems that can create value. So retail bank, and if anyone who's from Australia knows about CBA, they're also probably one of the more innovative banks in the entire planet. So I was very lucky. And that's, you know, I started to ask those same questions, like, you know, who's the team who can fix these things? And, you know, that's when I first discovered product mm -hmm. managers and I had no idea what they did. But my first two weeks, I sat down with one of them and said, I've been on these phone calls with these clients about this issue. How do I fix it? And he's like, well, why don't you draft up how you think it should be fixed and we can see if we can do it. And that's what I did. And sure enough, like a couple of weeks later, they were like, this is great. And they built this fix in. And all, that was the first time in my career that I was like, I have a problem that customers have. I think I know how to solve it, but how do I solve it? Mm -hmm. And then we just made it happen. And I won like some little award for it, which was, you know, motivating. Um, and that kind of kicked this off. I was like, wait, hang on a sec. You can get paid to solve customer problems. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of where this whole journey began. So from there, so mm. during the time when I was working with um, a, a team on a massive uh, innovation project, we were building out prototypes and we personally didn't have the, the capability to do it, but we had a partner in Denver who did and we contracted them to be like, hey, you know, we do a lot of work with you. We want to build this cool prototype so we can build a business case. Do you want to help? They were like, hell yeah, because it was something like net new at that time. And just in that like brief period, I was like, huh, I can do this in Australia with a group of Americans. Why don't I go to the US and work on like the problems which are 10, 100 times bigger than what they are here? Mm. So it was really just that that brief experience and me and the, that team, like, you know, we, we stayed in connection um, that inspired me. And so after that, I kind of made a decision like, look, by the time I'm 30, like I, if I'm not going to be in the U.S., I'm not going to do it. So that's what I did. So I landed in the U.S. when I hit 30, which was in 2019. And I've been here uh, ever since, like solving, you know, much bigger problems for much bigger clients at much bigger scale with much bigger teams and yeah, generally loving every minute of it <laughs> for the most mm -hmm. part. So you started off uh, when I asked you the first question, you started off by saying, first of all, I'm not an engineer background. And I'm so happy to hear that because yeah. I'm also coming from a business background. And when I came at the UTD mm -hmm. uh, doing IT management and product management, 90%, I would say, of students come from an IT background. And there is, I think, a misconception yeah. uh, of should you have technical there knowledge? Is. Should you be technical? Should it be business? Now you came yep. from a business background. Yep. How how does this work? Mm -hmm. Should you be business? Should it be technical? Which one is better? <laughs> uh, it's a good question. I don't think either of them is better. And I will say that you know, back to you know how this podcast kind of started. It, it's not really your background that matters. I've worked with people from pure engineering backgrounds who are incredible. I've worked with people with business backgrounds who are incredible. Like for me, it's really how they go about identifying and solving customer problems. But also the, the key skill of any good product manager is really communication and leading without authority. So, and to have that skill, you don't need business or IT background, right? 
However, having a background in each can be very helpful. As you can imagine, we work with a ton of developers and for any developers who might listen to your show, sometimes they don't like being told what to do and nor yeah, do I ever tell exactly. them what to do. So <laughs> a big part of it is like bringing groups along on the journey and aligning your vision with their skill set so they can help you deliver on that. And getting people bought into that is like one of the hardest things to do. But it's mm. all about communication, relationship management, and also ensuring that you're done due diligence to know that you're focused on the right problems. Mm. Because in today's what and well, I guess the second part to all that is being able to not just back yourself up, but kind of to to argue your point. And what yeah. I mean by this is people who have a business background will get into arguments or quote unquote discussions with engineers who will know more than you. And you just kind of have to have that emotional intelligence and you know humility to recognize, yeah, they know more than you, but guess what? You need they need to help you understand it. So you have to know the right questions to ask and be willing to just be like, hey, you know what? I don't know what the heck you just said. So help me understand it like I'm a five-year-old. Yeah. Right? Ultimately uh, in your role, you're going to be explaining it to more stakeholders. And if you don't get it, then, you know, you're just going to be pretty useless. Uh, so like, it's a, it's, it's a big combination of mm. skills. Uh, again, yeah, yeah. I've worked with a lot of people from different backgrounds and sometimes certain backgrounds are better than others in certain situations. But the, yeah. the one skill that has carried me through is really communication and making sure you know yourself, like know what you don't know. And mm. also knowing the right people to validate what you don't know with. Yeah, you need your senior mm. leadership to be bought into what you're trying to do. And uh, you mentioned, so yeah. one of the key skills that you mentioned was leading with no authority. And I'm going to be honest. So product management yeah, was a career shift for me. Yeah, product management was a mm. career shift for me. So I was studying and when I heard the fact that you lead with no authority, I was like, what? How can you lead with no authority? What yeah. does it even mean? So yeah. can you tell me like, what yeah. does it even mean? Do you have to be like, is it relationship building? Relationship building is the key to this yeah. or what does it mean? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good question. And I will say this is kind of the secret sauce to product management and not everyone can do it. So as a product manager, you've probably heard, like you might not have a direct team, if you're a group product manager, like I sometimes play that role where I have like three or four product managers under me working on like three streams of work or whatever. Like, yeah, you have some authority, but I'm not telling them what to do. They're going to do what they think is right based on the data that they have. So then it kind of comes down to, all right, well, how do you lead a team who doesn't report into you? And this is where yeah, again, communication, relationship management hmm. and managing up, up and across, as they say, is, is so key. And this is also why you need to understand, like, you know, practice empathy, key skill of a product manager, understand where people are coming from. Um, and like, I go in and work with, you know, a ton of different clients across a ton of different industries that like I've never worked in. But the key thing to getting them off, and you need these people on your side. The key thing to doing it is like understanding the problem. Like, why is this issue happening today? Why aren't you generating X? Why, why don't people care about the product that you spent five years building? And mm. recognizing that, you know, some people are emotionally attached to this. Like, that's great, but it's not delivering, you know, what you expected. So, you know, I'm here to help. And so it's about building that trust, showing them, you know, you're here to get the job done and you're on their side. Yeah. Um, but then also understanding how to speak to diverse groups. So, you know, as people in your podcast probably know, as a product manager, you have to be extremely cross-functional. Yeah, so exactly. When I worked in banking, 
to date, I still had to work with more groups than I have in any other industry. So we had teams of designers, engineers, architects, risk, compliance across all different vectors, you know, operational risk, reputational risk, credit risk. So whenever we were building products, we have to have all these teams bought in and approving things, reviewing things, all this kind of stuff. And you can't do that on your own. And not a single one of those people reported to me, right? So okay. but what you can do is you, you can create constructs where you have groups of people that are working together. And this is why like agile is so popular these days, because you can create these like small teams where you're all focused on delivering like, you know, one product or one, one key feature for a set period of time. Obviously, if you're in a real product organization, that team has a ton of funding and you can just continue throughout the year and beyond. But sometimes that's not always the case. But mm-hmm. even then, those people don't report to you. So yeah, in, so in it's some all about like relationships. Bank, yeah, that's, yeah, and that's, that's interesting. Um, and so you you can get into situations where, uh, especially with engineers or designers, right? Like if anyone, if you've ever had the conversation between trying to get an engineer to understand a designer and being the middle person, it can be quite difficult because it's got different <laughs> right. backgrounds. But that's kind of the role you need to play, right? Uh-huh, so, exactly. and they, you know, they say that product managers have to be T-shaped. You have to be super broad. So you have to understand all these different points of view, but be able to go really deep on, on certain key things. And you can't be a T-shaped, broad person unless you're good at building relationships and understanding people. Because if you don't and you're just like, do this, they're going to be like, yeah, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, so, because so, they don't have to. They don't mm-hmm. report to you. They don't care. So takeaway uh, yeah, is whether you're technical, much. whether you're from business background, you need to do to, to build relationships. It doesn't matter if you're technical. It doesn't mean that you're the star of the show, right? You're still got to build a no. relationship and lead with no authority. No, yeah, it's fun. It is. It sounds like it's it really is, sounds uh, like fun. My mind yeah. is exploring, exploding right now, thinking of all the people that I, I'm going to have to be talking about, but it's actually cool. Yeah. So Chase, going back to the why, the why product management. So yeah. first of all, yeah. what are some misconceptions or myths about product management that you have come across in your experience? Oh my God. It seems like a um, very tough, like product management seems like a very tough role to describe, right? It's so hard to define it even. So I'm sure there are a lot of yeah. misconceptions about it. Yeah. And I'd say that those misconceptions are definitely warranted. And I'd say maybe in some of them are, are quote unquote correct. So I was kind of, I was put into a role where I got to speak to a lot of internal people and I still do. So whenever anyone wants to, you know, come into our area, I'm generally the first person or one of the first people they speak to. There's obviously people, you know, more important and senior than me, they speak to as well. But for the most part, they'll have a chat to me. And I always ask them, I'm like, okay, well, like, why? Because generally these people, you know, probably similar to, to yourself and listeners, they don't have a background in product management. Mm-hmm. They've heard about it, maybe they've read about it. And a lot of them, especially coming out of grad school or undergrad, have done a class on it. Now, when I was in university, this was not a thing. So yeah, right. it's kind of funny <laughs> to hear the different perspectives, right? And I'm not saying that my, like what I consider product management is, is right, but I do consider it like, you know, at least, you know, with the teams that I've worked with, like the more fun, the more proactive, the more value adding and impactful version of it. So uh, when people kind of, you know, they come to me, they come from different backgrounds and I've had really bad answers. I've had people say, oh, it's my product management. And they're like, I want to do strategy. And I'm like, okay, they're like, <laughs> great. What do you mean by that? And, you know, strategy is sexy on paper and there's a lot of strategy <laughs> in product management, but it's not product management, right? That's not it's everything. It it's a small part. 
Oh yeah, it's it's literally all the pieces. So yeah, right. Tell I've me, designed, tell me a role with no strategy involved in it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's operational roles where you, and like this yeah. is another key difference. You'll meet people yeah, right. from operational backgrounds, and um, I, I experience that sometimes when I work with clients. What what a lot of organizations do is they'll try to take an operational person and they're like, well, you've done this job for 10 years, so you can be the product manager. And they're trying to put them in a a product manager role and it's just a different skill set. Operational people are very good at what they do. They're not T-shaped, you know, they're just I-shaped. And they just, they do what they're, you know, I don't say do what they're told, but effectively that's what they do. Mm -hmm. And they do it extremely well. So as a a product manager, I learned very early on that you need to rely on these people because they're your, your SMEs or your subject matter experts that can help enable what you're trying to do. But generally, they're not they're not going to be great product people, maybe because they can't see the broader picture, right? So exactly. I have people like that. I have people who come from a design background and they love designing things. And it's like, hey, that's great. I freaking love UX people. They're like some of my favorite people to work with. They make selling ideas easy. I like visual pretty pitches. And guess what? So do executives and everyone else like pretty pitches. It's easier to understand complex concepts with pitches. But when you start to ask them like, oh yeah, that's great. But like, why do you want to do product? Like, oh, I want to do product design, which is valid, right? But mm. it's like a, a subset of product. You're focused on a different area. I, I speak to people who just have like no idea. There was a person I spoke to the other day who was like, quote unquote, I want to do business. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> you help validate. Mm. Um, so you, I've spoken to, I don't know, like maybe 200, 300 people now on this. So I have like this broad perception, but there's a group of people who, as soon as they answer, I like my ears perk up and I get all sorts of excited. And the answer that they give, like, you know, be a shock to anyone, but is like, I love solving problems, understanding problems for customers and users. And I love, you know, getting my hands dirty in the process of figuring out what those problems are and then building them. But they're not only building them, but then testing the hypotheses that we had. Did it do the thing we set out to do? And that, I mean, that was a bit of a long answer and not everyone gives that long of an answer. But mm-hmm. for me, it's like you, you're keen on solving the problems and making sure that what you did or built actually solved the problem. And a lot of people are just like, yeah, I want to design it, which is great. That's at the front end. Or I want to build it. Great. That's at like, you know, the middle or the end of the process. Or I want to do the strategy, which is at the very top of the funnel. Very few people are kind of like, no, I want to see that what I build actually created value and solved the problem we set out to solve. I want to see that it, the hypothesis that I had with the little knowledge that I had was validated. You know, very, very few people answer that way. And there's a funny story um, that when I was writing the, the, the MBA questions, I think we chatted about it. I was writing some of the uh, MBA questions for product managers. Okay. And I threw in a, like what I thought was an easy question. So we have, you know, case study questions and I threw in one about, you know, you have a problem. What What's the hypothesis that you would create to try and solve this problem? Like, what would you mm. test? You know, give me, you know, and explain it. And this is like a case interview. So you're like face-to-face with someone and you need yeah, to take exactly. two minutes. So the, the feedback that I got was like, all the questions that I created were great, but that was the one that all these MBA grads got stuck on. They, they didn't get it, which was, and like, this was obviously like only like 15 people. So it's a small data set, but I was like kind of shocked to hear that. But it was the first time that I was like, oh, maybe product is a bit of a different mindset <laughs> than what I'm thinking. Mm. Um, because a lot of people are obsessed with 
being correct or solving a problem, not necessarily knowing if they're solving the right problem, mm-hmm. which is like, to me is a key thing about product is, you know, taking a step back and making sure you're solving the right stuff. And if like the next question is, how does it add value? Like what we always say is you're, you're actually de-risking the business. And you can imagine you have a program of work, it could be a hundred million dollars and you spend a hundred million dollars building the wrong thing. Whoops. <laughs> you know, when you could have spent a million dollars validating the problem is the correct one to be solving. And that's, that's the reality, right? Like that's a true value add that we can add. Mm-hmm. But then if you validate it, go out and get the teams to build it. You know, that's all the, the exactly, actual right? target your hands dirty. One thing that I always wonder about, what if I don't love the product I'm working on? So do you, do you need to absolutely <laughs> love the product yeah. that you're managing? No, no, no. How, how can and one this do is, that? So this is, a okay. fun one. again, it comes back to this point. You have to love solving problems for customers, clients, or users. So I that's have worked it. on, yeah, because it doesn't make it, doesn't make the job easier. I'd argue like to, to love the product you're working on. I'd say yes. I mean, obviously, as a consultant, we work on many different projects, products, feature, all, like everything under the sun. And not every single one of them is like the most exciting stuff, right? But the thing that excites me is, is the problem that this product is going to solve, is it big enough? Is it going to create real impact? And sometimes that impact is not apparent. It's just like a bunch of, I don't know, tick boxes on a page. It's like mm. a classic one, but as a, as a product person, and if people moving into product, you're not going to be working on these whiz bang products all the time, right? So then it's like, okay, well, how can I figure out how my product is generating value and solving customer problems? And they both generally go hand in hand. So, you know, that's also part of the exercise of using data to validate that the thing that you have in front of you is going to solve the problem you think it's going to solve. Mm-hmm. And if you're passionate about that, the rest kind of takes care of itself because you can be like, hey, I proved that this thing is going to solve this big problem using data, interviews, whatever. And then all of a sudden it becomes, I need to build this out and get it done to help these customers like solve the issue they're having. As opposed mm-hmm. to the opposite side is, I have to do this because my boss told me to. Or I have to deliver a bunch of stuff because it's on a timeline. It's like, no. I don't know many people that get passionate about delivering stuff on timelines. Like, it's like, I'm just doing it because I'm told to. It's like, okay, whoopee. Yeah, I can do it. But you won't be passionate about it generally. At least, mm-hmm. I don't think you will. Okay. Yeah, so this is just Chase's opinion, right? Okay, awesome. I mean, it's important but, uh, to know because yeah. you're not going to love every product that you make, right? So it's important to, to know that it's all yeah. about problem solving at the end of the day. So one thing I wanted to ask you about. So since this episode is yeah. about why product management, if a student like comes to you and says, I really don't know what I should study, what should I do? Give me your tips. So how would you answer why product management? Hey, you still there? I want to introduce you to Annie, a member of the Product League Club and a student at UT Dallas. Annie wants to share the reasons as to why does she want to become a product manager. I grew to be an aspiring product manager by learning more about the role. I was fortunate enough to work with a handful during my uh, career and my professional experience. I saw how they worked, who they worked with. So the ability to be able to take a complex problem and tackle it with a team and cross-functionally, um, I think also that portion of the role of product manager really piqued my interest. I kind of stumbled into the field, learned more about it, and here I am uh, as an aspiring product manager. 
Join Annie in her journey to becoming a product manager. Become a member at the Product League by visiting our website, www.theproductleague.com. Yeah, so one thing I wanted to ask you about. So since this episode is yeah. about why product management, if a student like comes to you and says, I really don't know what I should study, what should I do, give me your tips. So how would you answer why product management? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a pretty good question. Like, if someone approached me and was like, you know, you know, what what makes what do you like about product management? You know, I think that's probably we we get that quite a bit. Uh, product management is the only role that I've personally had where you get to see such a wide spectrum of how things get done in today's world from a digital standpoint. So. And you get to be involved at every single stage of that. And obviously, you need to have the skills to cover all that. But it is the one role that I know of that, at least for me personally, that's enabled me to be in the strategy part of the discussion, in the delivery part, in the ideation part of the discussion, in the delivery and value realization part of the discussion, where you're involved at every single level. And so if you're someone who gets bored really easily, it can be a great career path. It's also one of the wow. only roles I've been in where someone who's not an executive or someone, you know, like a VP, unless you work at a bank and everyone's a VP, where mm -hmm. you can actually create and demonstrate real value. Like you can build business cases to get funding to build your ideas where traditionally, you know, other roles don't really get that opportunity. So they kind of, uh, a lot of, you know, more forward-thinking companies are product-led organizations, as they're generally known, set product managers up for success in roles like that, where they're allowed to be creative, they're allowed to be strategic, they're allowed to use their people skills and deliver true value for the customers and, you know, hopefully the business as well. There aren't a lot of roles that allow you to do all that, you know, especially if you're the kind of person who likes new tech or likes to get involved with, like, you know, the latest and greatest uh, Gen AIs, on everyone's minds today um i've already run like a couple of gen ai workshops like mm -hmm. i've been using it i've been using chat gpt since before november um <laughs> because you know we look at that and we're like oh wow this is going to change the world what are the types of problems that gen ai can solve and we can just go out and figure it out and do it right um there aren't a lot of roles that really let you do that uh ar vr is another one like we have product managers here at deloitte that work with that ar team uh to build out new experiences that need that product mindset around well, what problem does ar or vr solving and mm -hmm. is the problem big enough to warrant the investment you know you can get involved in a lot of fun stuff so it's great That's if you like that <laughs> You got me at yeah, if you get it, bored really quick, this is a job for you. I mean, you got me there and you just reassured me that I'm on the right path. <laughs> yeah. That was I the mean, answer. And, that and was that's the true. Answer. There is a caveat though, right? There's a big caveat to all that. This is my experience with product management. And it is a role where if you do get bored easily, yeah, you can take full advantage of it. It's one reason I love Deloitte is I work in different industries on different clients and different problems all the time. It keeps it varied. When I was in industry, I had to keep bouncing between products because I needed a new challenge. And I loved that flexibility. I do know of people, you know, some people don't want that. They just want to sit in one spot. And you know what? That's completely fine. They generally become managers and they'll lead big teams and get paid, you know, a million, half a million bucks. You know, good for them. 
Um, mm. But it, it is a role that does offer that opportunity if you like to do different things and get involved. Uh, it is my experience. Um, what you have to look out for, though, is uh, you'll have roles that are like, it's a product manager role. But if you start to read the detail, it's really just like a backlog manager role. Exactly. Or a feature exactly. factory role. I've You're seen that like, happen. And I kind of, yeah. And when even even internally, when I'm like back in the olden days where product manager, we're trying to define what it is. Uh, we'd have, I'd have people come to me with roles that were project manager roles. No, like it's a product manager role. I'm like, that's not, that's not product. Get that away from me. Like, and the, that's the way why people at the like, end of the okay. day are confused as to what product management is because like people seem to abuse it. Like yeah. companies sometimes abuse it. Oh yeah. And there's a few reasons for that. One is pay. So you call a product owner, a product owner instead of product manager. Uh, generally they'll be paid less. Sometimes they'll change the title to something like product associate or something weird and fluffy. Uh, just so they can pay you less because a lot of what you're paid is tied to a role believe it or not and like what that role is paying you know in the broader industry mm. um and this is where like and, I, and this this happens to a lot of younger people that i meet <laughs> um they're like oh, i thought it was product i did the role and it's just managing a timeline so i would say like if you get a role and i'd be asking you know, how is my value measured and if you get an answer along the lines of you're measured by how much you deliver that's a that's probably not a product role well, sorry, let me rephrase. Uh, if you're measured on how like uh, meeting a timeline or meeting a deadline, then that's probably not a product manager role. Hmm. Um, if you're measured on the value to clients that you build and deliver, then it probably is. So, you know, there's a few tricks and it took me a very long time to figure all that out. But and you know, I've kind of done the, the hard part of... Uh, thinking it would turn into a product manager role when really it's just a project manager role. Um, speaking, so after a while, you just kind of start to figure it out. Mm. And speaking of payment, as you said previously, product management is quite a lucrative role, right? And it's high in demand. Would you agree oh, yeah. with that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So that's another why. <laughs> that's another why become well, a product manager. Why are you hiding it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't see. I, I, the money is just what is what it is. And if you go on levels... You can see what people get paid out of, uh, you know, like Microsoft and Amazon, all that stuff. I mean, a lot yeah, of it is yeah. RSUs, but it, it's a high paying role and a good reason. Like everything I just mentioned, you have to work with a diverse set of teams to deliver value. That is not easy. It, it is, it's not an easy role. <laughs> um, Indeed. It is a very fun role for the right person, but I do know people who... Uh, I work with um, some people who need to know everything before they present something. You know, that's a personality trait. As a product manager, you need to I think it's a Jeff Bezos quote. Like he was like moving when he had like 70, 80 percent of the information. And I personally agree with that. It's like, yeah, we have enough. Let's start to move forward. If you're trying to go from 99 percent to 100 percent, the time to get there is infinite. So you can't just get stuck. You know, analysis paralysis. Don't let um, good be the enemy of perfection or whatever the quote is, like is very true in product. Um, so you've got to kind of have that mindset, like, are we moving forward? Is this getting us closer to value? Mm. Some people don't have that. And that's just, you know, that's okay. They can probably make billions as a quantum or something, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it does pay pretty well. That's that's really good to hear. Chase, I have my last question. Uh, and yeah. I mean, I'm going to ask it personally, but I'm sure a lot of people are going to resonate with me. So I have one more year to graduate. 
to 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 do my masters in and I'm specializing in digital product management. Besides academia, cool. what would be your tips for me? How how can I use this cool. one year at my best so that I can nail product management and I can have multiple offers when I graduate? Is there any book, certificate, anything? Like what can make me a better product management? And I do have the time. I have all the time in the world. I'm taking a dramatic pause because I actually, because I didn't grow up here. It's actually a hard one to answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm trying to think of an answer. Is there I, any certificate like, that you suggest to people? No. Can, no well, certificate, right? Yeah. So, I mean, something on the record I will say is I get that question a lot. I get the question, you know, what certificate should I do? What certification? Um, if you've done any Googling, you'll see that a lot of PMs don't think that there is any that is good or helpful. I, I agree to an extent. For me, like if someone was a certified product owner, which is an agile scrum role, I get mm. it. But if you have that, you're you're ahead of like 80% of the people, uh, specifically because you can work in an agile team. And a lot of the teams we work in are, are agile, right? And there's... There's startups who, you know, they don't do that. That's fine. But when you start to work in larger companies, they generally all try to adopt a version of agile. And so having that certificate or that certification can stick out. Um, I know for me personally, it was a, a key thing that helped me move into product development much easier because I understood the agile methodology. Like I could say it, it went from my previous issue of having a problem, not knowing how to get it solved to being like, I have a problem, I can structure the requirements and I know the team's backlog to get into to get it done and therefore deliver value to mm. actually then leading those teams. So, okay. so that can be very helpful. Agile management would be helpful to to know, uh, to perform the product management product, job. The, the product, yeah, the product owner role for working in organizations. Um, besides that, like there's a list of books that you probably have that, yeah. I don't have them in front do you have any favorite? I, I do have a list that I send people. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, for more like for more practical, uh, because at the end, like a lot of junior people I speak with, they read all like you know, inspired all the Marty Kagan books, and they're great. But the reality is, is that is not what product management is in a lot of organizations. That the, that's the ideal state, exactly. which is great. And I have worked yeah. in, I've worked in that, and it's it's really good. It feels very fun. But that's not it for that's not the real everyone world. else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for a lot of companies, unfortunately. So there's a there's one book that I like, which is called uh, User Story Mapping. And I'm sure someone is listening who's like, yeah, it's that author. And I forget the author's name. Okay. But User Story <laughs> Mapping is great. Um, I'll find it. I'll, I'll find a, it as well. That's probably the best, practical, the best practical book that I could recommend. Because what it helps you do is take your ideas or take data feedback anything and structure it in a way that developers and user user experience people can do something with it which is a lot of what we do as product people like we take at least so i've kind of viewed it as we take a lot of chaos and noise and we try to find the signal in the noise and then we kind of say all right this is what we need to to build to you know get to that value that book is awesome. very helpful um Internally, I've given it to a ton of people who have all given me that feedback. Um, so I'm like, yeah, there you go. Go read that. That's good. I'll um, definitely have that on my list. I'll have it for sure. Yeah. There's I'll a ton of that. like, uh, you know, more strategy books. The The number one book I will say is um, it's from Strategize. I'm remembering this is this is a book that I keep in my bag every time I travel. 
uh, and it's called uh, value proposition design, I believe. And it is incredible. If you want to see like, a, I like pitches, right? It's very well drawn. Um, a lot of big companies use it for like ideation to build and structure, you know, multi-million dollar programs. And it has a step-by-step -step guide for how you might validate problems, come mm. up with solutions and then prioritize those. It is probably the, the best one out there, at least for me, um, because it's very step-by-step. -step. And uh, you've, you might've heard, heard of like, you know, the lean business case, uh, which is like, you know, all the boxes on a page, you know, uh, it has a, you know, it's got, that's where that kind of comes from. So it's got that diagram. It can help you create one. Um, and a key thing in there is it kind of asks, you know, it's like, make sure you understand the problem that you're solving. And there's exercises that it takes you through to, to validate those problems. And a lot of the time people have great ideas that aren't necessarily problems that people are going to pay to fix or even pay for. And so going through those exercises is a, is a good way to validate it. And you might look at it and be like, yeah, it's rather small scale, but like I've seen it done on like 10, $50 million uh, engagements, mm. the, the same type of thinking. And I, I personally use it like almost daily in my, not every single day, but you know, my, in it's my practical. Mindset, so it is practical. It's very practical. Awesome. Thank you so, 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 so much for, for all this time. This was very, very valuable. So thank you so much for, for finding one yeah. hour of your time, of your valuable time. If you made it this far, I hope that by now it is clear for you as to why you want to be a product manager. To recap, first and foremost, as Chase mentioned, you need to love solving problems for clients, customers, and users. You need to love figuring out problems and building upon them. But as Chase said, very few people mention you should not stop there. To show that you are truly keen on solving problems, make sure you mention that you also want to see what you build really solves the problem. You need not to only focus on addressing the problems, but making sure that you actually solve a real problem. As a bonus, Chase gave us two books that I'm going to keep on my books to read, and they are User Store Mapping by Jeff Patton and Strategize Value Proposition Design. But don't forget, these answers should not be learned by heart from you. I want all of us to think about what we heard today and add to this answer our reasons as to how did we become to love product management. On the next episode, we'll be discussing about the dark sides of being a product manager. And don't worry, they're not that dark. I'll be validating some points not only with one, but two product managers. The lead product manager from AT&T and a product manager from Indeed will join me in the next episode. Dark side number six. You likely won't get to talk to customers as much as you want or expect to. This, this, this is a thousand percent <laughs> true. A thousand percent. A thousand thousand percent. <laughs> true. That will be a true. Thank you for listening to the Product League Podcast. See you at the next episode.